Hi, I'm Jasmine Cassett, and this is my fantasy funeral. Imagine you are dead, but you get to design your own funeral. What songs will be played? Who will deliver your eulogy? And where will your remains rest forevermore? This is the scenario presented to my guest today. I'm Ryan Briegel, and you're listening to my fantasy funeral. My guest today is a songwriter and performer whose prolific output is only slightly more impressive than her ability to morph her voice from one musical style to another, seemingly without effort. She grew up in a creative family, raised outside of Nashville by a father who was a teacher and a mother who was a songwriter. In college, she studied poetry and English literature and was always writing, but she quickly realized that singing the words she wrote was the way to really attract an audience. Her voice has been described as having a forlorn intimacy, and last year that voice could be heard on two separate albums. The first, an album full of laid-back rock and roll called Tuxedo, released under her own name, and the second, an album of synthesizer ballads written and recorded with makeup and vanity sets Matthew Pusty, under the name You Drive. She is perhaps best known for once being half of Bird Cloud, the smart yet shocking duo the Nashville scene called unabashedly raunchy and pointedly provocative. And really, could songs titled Saving Myself for Jesus and Washing My Big Old Pussy be anything but? She says the days of Bird Cloud are over, but while my guest may have traded those scandalous sentiments for the more subtle charms of songs under her own name, there is no doubt that the wonderful wordplay and wit remains. She is Jasmine Cassett. Before we speak with Jasmine, let's hear a song from her latest album, Tuxedo. This is Lonesome Rider. Hi, Jasmine. Welcome to my fantasy funeral. Thank you for having me. I've I've never been on a podcast, and, and that was a great intro. This is your first. This is my first it's podcast. Quite amazing. Well, <laughs> what a way to start. Today, we are going to kill you off and take a look at the funeral you would plan for yourself. But I wanted to begin by asking you about something that happened recently that truly could have killed you and made a lot of people very worried. You were bitten by a spider, and you ended up in the hospital for quite a long time. Can you tell me what happened? I had a very uh, rare reaction to a brown recluse bite. That was The brown recluse was in my pants, and it bit me on the leg, and I ended up in ICU for nine days, and I got six blood transfusions. Um, I've never broken a bone I've never I've never really been to the hospital I've never been to the hospital Mm -hmm. as you were saving it up for yeah those nine days it it felt in a lot of ways just like an ancient curse like the symptoms didn't make any sense my whole body turned like an electric red and 
my blood was dying. It, it was just, I was poisoned. Then all my skin peeled off, and I basically had all new, like, or half new blood and all new skin. So finally the last transfusion is what got you back to yeah. where, you could, where you could finally leave. Where I could leave, yeah. I guess my body was continuing to destroy itself until enough of the blood was replaced. It all felt really dramatic. It I th- sounds very dramatic. Yeah, and and it felt kind of silly that it was all over a, a bite, you know, an insect bite. In a lot of ways, it was easier that it, it was me. I feel like if I had been watching, you know, my parent or my sister or somebody going through that, it would have been a lot scarier. But the fact that it was just happening to me, I, I kind of just felt like a kind of understood a lot more the just culture of the hospital and there's something very human but also very dehumanizing about being in that system and being taken care of in that way and being hooked up to machines and stuff like that certainly yeah did this change the way you live every day at all now how i deal with this extra afraid of spiders (laughs) or, or extra wary of them just your mentality towards life i think a lot of the problems that i thought i had before got really small when i was somehow fighting for my life out of nowhere you know I was on my way I was pulling my pants up to go to work on a Sunday morning and and then all of a sudden I was like in grave danger so yeah it made a lot of problems seem small it also uh, brought me a lot closer to my family and I don't know I think it kind of chilled me out a little bit interesting yeah Jasmine, today we will hear the five songs that you have chosen to be played during your funeral. Tell me about the first song that you've chosen. The first song that I've chosen is Little Girl in Bloom by Thin Lizzy. I've, I've been a lot of, of girls over, over my life. And, and I've been a few different women, and I think I'll be some more before it's all said and done. And I know this is a song that he wrote about his mom, you know, getting pregnant in Ireland or whatever but um to me the song is is more about sort of a creative pregnancy and also the visual of her just looking out the window and watching the world I think um is something I can relate to I think that I'm kind of a a visual writer you know I don't write dialogue I don't I don't write about what I hear or behavior that I see as much as 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 a scene that I'm looking at, mm-hmm. you know, and it's sort of pregnant in my way watching that. My only creation might be my body of work. You know, it, it might not be a child. To me, it, it just kind of feels like a, a hopeful, happy song, even, you know, and, a, and an expecting song. And I just, I just love it. Sadness, sorrow, or gloom. Tomorrow you'll be a blushing bride that loves a blushing little girl in bloom. You watch the men play cricket from the window in your room. You see the ball go from bad to wicked, pass away the Sacred 
Thin Lizzy and Little Girl in Bloom from their album Vagabonds of the Western World. Jasmine, you grew up, I think, right outside of Nashville in Cottontown. Mm-hmm. Is that where you lived most of yeah. your growing up? What was it like to grow up there in Cottontown? <laughs> well, me and my sister Amber, we grew up in the mi- just in the middle of the woods on a dead-end street in an unincorporated town. And we just kind of hung out. <laughs> and freaked out about getting abducted by aliens and stuff like that. Um, Now that I'm older, I understand the instinct of wanting to raise your children, you know, out of danger and just on a hill in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Um, But at the time it was very boring and it was a, it was not my childhood. My childhood was fine and my family is great, but that place is, was definitely, is definitely a place that I was eager to escape. Um, I actually drove back there today I, I drive back there a couple times a year after about an hour I was like I gotta get I gotta go back to civilization I think a lot of people feel so much more like they can breathe when they're in the country and I get claustrophobic out in the woods um, it's not a calming place for me I think because of your experiences yeah growing up there yeah why do you make those drives now every once in a while I just really like the Goodwill out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got some great stuff. Well worth it, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Your mother, Angela, is a songwriter. And one of the songs she wrote, a song called Something in Red, was recorded by Lori Morgan and did very well on the country charts in 1992. And then... In 1993, Lori Morgan was nominated for that song for Female Country Vocal Performance at the Grammys. Do you remember much about that time, all that going on? I remember not having money and then having money. And then I remember not having money again, (laughs) Um, which I think is pretty safe to say, you know, what happens to a lot of a lot of musicians or a lot of people who don't have that steadily that's always Mm -hmm. how it's been for me if I've ever had a success it's like I'm rich I'm poor for that reason money's never been a motivator for me in playing music for that reason I I make music because just because I love to and because I like to work with people in that capacity you went to college at MTSU in Murfreesboro Tennessee did you study writing in uh, writing classes there yeah I have I had a literature, I was a literature major, and I did a bunch of creative writing classes. When did you realize that you also had the ability to take these words you were writing and put them to a melody and make them into a song and not just something someone would read on a page? When I was in fifth grade, I got I got really into the Beatles, and my mom plays piano, but there was a guitar at the house. And she showed me E minor and a couple of things like that on there. And the still the only music book I have is, you know, the complete Beatles tabs, beginner yeah. guitar. <laughs> so I started playing guitar then when I was, I guess, maybe more in sixth grade. And then when I was in eighth grade, I met Jordan Lenning, who I, I've since been working with musically. He was better at guitar than me, so I quit. <laughs> And then I did. I played drums in college. You know, I never sang, but I was always writing. And 
when I was, I guess, fresh out of college, I picked up guitar again. It it just kind of felt like it's really hard to get people to read what you write. People don't read poetry. There's not, there's not as big of an audience for that. And so it just seemed like the only way to share what I was working on. Listening is easier. Yeah. It's just more accessible for sure. And not to give too much away, as we may hear shortly, you, your singing voice doesn't really sound a whole lot like your mother, I don't think. Where do you think your singing voice developed from? Do you have any idea? Or do you think you sound like your mother? I wish I sounded like my mother. <laughs> what? How do they say that? It's, defi- it's defined by its limitations, you know? Um, I think you're very hard on yourself. Well... <laughs> Yeah, when I when I first started playing music, like in my early twenties, I was definitely doing a more affected mm. sort of like cutesy pop thing, and then hopefully, hopefully, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but I don't really know what it sounds like. It's just you. It's just what yeah. comes out naturally. Yeah. Your second song choice features a comedic genius who is no longer with us. Tell me why you chose this song. So when I quit touring with Bird Cloud at the end of last year, this was a song that I kept going back to and also a scene that I kept going back to in in Blazing Saddles. I, I saw some parallels with the kind of humor that Mel Brooks does, you know, with what we were trying to do in Bird Cloud. And Madeline Kahn's performance of it is just so perfect. When, I, when you gave me this assignment, I really liked thinking about this in the scope of just the end of my life and just sort of that that being my nod to just, you know what, I, I did a lot of fucked up, crazy, fun stuff, and I'm just tired of it, and I just want to go to bed, I guess. I, I like to think that even in the, in the life that I'm living now, post-bird cloud, that that I'm still connected to the absurd you know it's sort of the like the sacred and profane and there's something sublime like in between those two things so but I hope to be remembered as kind of an idiot you know but just if you're not laughing you're crying so I don't know if that's played at my funeral I think pretty much anyone who really knows me would know what I'm talking about. He was then the goddess of desire Set men on fire I have this power Morning, noon and night It's drink and dancing Some quick romancing And then a shower Stage for Johnny's constantly surround me They always hound me with one request Who can satisfy their lustful habits? I'm not a rabbit I need some rest I'm tired Sick and tired of love I've had my fill of love from below and above. Tired, tired of being. 
face that I'm tired. I've been with thousands of men again and again. They promised the moon. They're always coming and going and going and coming. And always too soon. Fighters, I'm tired. Tired of playing the game Into the crying shame I'm so tired God damn it, I'm exhausted Madeline Kahn and I'm Tired from the soundtrack for the film Blazing Saddles Jasmine, you met your bird cloud other half, Mackenzie Green when you were both in college in Murfreesboro The story goes that you didn't really care for each other at first, and then you bonded over the fact that you both disliked a particular person. Can you tell me who that person is? (laughs) No, that's horrible. (laughs) Then I will ask, do you think this person knows that they brought you and Mackenzie together? They would hate, they would hate to know that, I'm sure. It sounds so petty, but that's just the thing, the whole thing of like, us not liking each other and then us also not liking someone else is just so indicative of that age, you know, when you're in your early 20s and you're, like, threatened by other people. Mm. And it is a um, powerful force. You started writing songs together and you would practice these songs facing each other, mm. something you continued to do when you performed live. What purpose did that serve, do you think, looking at each other when you when you sang? To me, the show was always sort of for each other. You mm. know, the that that band worked for a lot of reasons, and it, and it worked good. But it, it worked mostly because of our chemistry on stage. And it, it really wasn't always about the audience. You know, there were times we played for audiences that hated it. And we loved those shows sometimes more than the shows that were, you know, seemed a lot better to the promoter or something. Yeah, I think us facing each other was the reason that it got so explosive on stage, and I think that's why it worked. The lyrics were known for being provocative, but simply being shocking wasn't just the point, right? No. What were you trying to do with the Bird Cloud personas with those songs? You know, we were both from the South. I think a lot of it was a parody of the Southern experience, amplifying how ridiculous it is you know, in order to show how ridiculous it is. Mm. Um, The fact that we were women made things automatically political that wouldn't have been had we been men. And the conversation changed a lot during the course of that band, you know, in terms of the political conversation and what's okay to say and what we don't say anymore. That all changed when Trump got elected. If 9-11 was like, the the death of irony was Trump the death of satire because it it made it a lot harder for comics you know things that we used to say in jests that were shocking were no longer shocking these were things that were actually coming out of our president's mm-hmm. mouth mm-hmm. you know and we never wanted to be confused for people on on that side I saw an effect that I was having you know we toured Europe twice Australia twice you know all over America a ton of times we played hundreds and hundreds of shows and I and I saw that people really needed to laugh and I talked to a lot of women who were empowered by what we were doing you know 
and I know some women who would disagree with that, but there's a real connection between sex, death, and humor. I think that those are all intertwined, and they are the most human things that I can think of. And for that reason, a lot of different kinds of people related to what we were doing. We spent the last year or so performing in adult diapers on stage, and that was for a few different reasons. Um, one of the reasons was because it was conf- it was confronting at first you think oh they're showing a lot of skin like this is sexy and then you're like horrified and disgusted but also we were on a long tour when my grandmother passed away and we canceled some shows so i could come home and be with my family and i was very close with my grandmother you know i went to the funeral and i stayed at my mom's house and we spent some time together and then we were picking back up for the rest of the support tour and as I was walking out the door to load my van my mom was like these were grandas do you want them and they were the rest of her depends and I was like yeah sure and I threw them in the van and then I think the first night that we wore them on stage was in New Orleans um at Tipitina's and I remember feeling almost connected to my grandmother and wearing the diaper there were things that looked probably looked just like we were doing things for the point of being absurd um but a lot of that stuff meant a lot more your third song choice is quite special to you i would imagine tell me about this song well this is a song of my mom's so in the context of my funeral this song kind of is like a protective song, you know, which I feel about the people in my life. And she always felt for me. I always felt that I always felt protected by my family. It's also just sort of a nod to her as, you know, an inspiration for my, for the way that I still live my life. And her body of work is so impressive to me. I don't take no chances with a one Don't give in and I don't give up Sometimes it means that I gotta be tough I don't take no chances with the one I love This world can't hear and this world can't see This world don't care what you mean to me Sometimes looking both ways just ain't enough. I don't take no chances with the one I love. A song by the mother of my guest, that is Angela Cassett, and Take No Chances. Jasmine, you recorded two albums with your longtime friend, Jordan Lenning. Uh, the first album titled Hell and Half of Jordan, which I only recently realized must be a reference to his name. Because the actual lyric in the song Window Shopping is Hell and Half of Georgia. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a joke. <laughs> it was a fun play on his name. <laughs> I, I quite like that. And then the second album you made with him called Quiet Machine. I'm guessing knowing Jordan for so long led to a fairly easy working relationship. Yeah, for sure. Um, there are a couple of voices that I feel like I've known forever. The song of my mom's, you know, obviously is one because it's my mom's voice. Sure. And also we grew up 
you know, little kids like crawling around Douglas Corner and the Bluebird Cafe and stuff like that at her shows or having to like sit or, sit around at her publisher's office while she's in a co-write or something, you know. But Jordan's voice is one of those for me too, just because I've kind of been living in his musical world, you know, since I was 14. It feels like we're still in middle school when we're hanging out, you know, we're just like giving each other shit and I feel really lucky that I get to work with Jordan's brain and it's a very casual environment where we're making fun of each other the whole time. And, uh, I think that, that self seriousness is, is a fate worse than death for me. So it's good that I can go in there and I can be, you know, we can be working on a song that lyrically is, feels really important to me or whatever, but we could still joke around uh, about it. Good. You recorded your most recent album, Tuxedo, in your own studio, which you named the Hyman Auditorium, which is brilliant. You wrote and worked with Brett Rosenberg of the band Quiche Night. What is different about his working process than the way you've worked in the past, such as with Jordan? Well, that was so much fun to do. It, it was it was a lot more immediate, and in terms of like this is a period of time that you know that was kind of recorded. Over the course of one year, maybe less, six months, you know, in between tours, it wasn't, we didn't have to be precious about the material because it was, you know, recorded on a four track and the building behind my house, you know, it does, we weren't booking the time or doing anything like that. So I was really lucky to get to work with him on that and to, to do a, a process that different from what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. The band that currently plays with you live, most of those members have been playing with you for a little while, seven or eight years, I would say. Do you think you're a good band leader? They've stuck around. I don't think it has anything to do with my leadership. <laughs> um, I'm not, I, I feel a lot of times really limited by my musical ability. And, you know, half of that band is like Berkeley, and, and then the other half are just like pocket players and they know how to play together. And it's just the perfect mix of like education and feeling with those people. I think the reason that we've stuck together is just because we enjoy each other's company so much. You know, I think it, that that whole organism that that band is, is we work together a lot more to figure out sounds and parts, you know, and they might ask me, what key is this in? I'll be like, oh, Larissa, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I'm not proud of, but I lean on them. Like, I don't feel like I'm di I'm directing an orchestra. I feel like when I'm playing live with them, I feel like I'm being lifted up in the air. You know, I feel like I'm doing karaoke to my own music and it sounds better than I've ever heard it. Mm. And it's all my favorite people behind, like behind me on the stage and beside me on the stage. And I'm so lucky to play, to play with those players. Jasmine, let's hear your fourth song. Why did you choose this? I, I love the drama of this song. And the message, I feel like, is a lot more maybe like guy to a girl romance, which at my funeral, hopefully, I'm not still fucking with that. Before I decided I, that I wanted to be cremated, I could just imagine lowering my casket into the ground to this song. Mm. It's just like, it's it's the perfect mixture of of being earnest and schmaltzy at the same time, which is a sound that I really love and that I'm working on myself right now. Um, I don't know. I also got really into this record right before I went to college and, and I was like 
hanging out with all my friends in high school and we just listen to this and we're like what's gonna happen to our lives you know and they're probably hopefully will continue to be chapters like that you know chapters that definitively end and new ones that start and this this song reminds me of 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 an end From the soundtrack of his somewhat autobiographical film, that is Prince with Purple Rain. Jasmine, you have said that you want to make an album that is your Purple Rain. Can you tell me about that idea? I think a lot of of that is informed by just the era of my mother's music that I grew up listening to. You know, like when I was home, it, it was the 90s and it was the 80s. So a lot of the music that I heard her doing was so of that era I felt inspired by that. You know, she she is a master balladeer. And when I was away all the time touring, you know, when I was touring, I was gone for most of the year for five years. And I, I just remember thinking my time was wasted not learning from her as a writer. And I don't know, I've just been wanting to write music with a little drama in it. I think maybe I, I'm having some withdrawals from being more performative on stage and playing a character uh, while in a lot of ways playing a crazy character can do some psychic damage maybe over time but I still want to have pyro and effects on stage and it's hard to do that when I'm singing my poems you know that are like I wanted to write some stuff that was um, broad strokes and, and, and dramatic I've slid in and out of a lot of concepts you know, over the course of my writing. So this is just kind of something I want to do next. Last year, you released an album that was different than you had ever done before with Makeup and Vanity Sets, Matthew Pusty, a project called You Drive. The music is his, and the words and the melody and the vocals are all yours. But this wasn't the first time your voice had been heard with his music. You'd sung on a handful of Makeup and Vanity Set songs in the past, but you've also said that electronic synth music is not something you normally listen to. So I'm guessing he reached out to you first to start this collaboration. I can't remember who started it. We had a conversation outside the five spot one night, you know. For the album, would he send you like an instrumental song that was fully finished and you would just write on top of it? Is that pretty much how it worked? Yeah. It's a process that I've that I've used before and cut co- and sort of remote co-writes 
what was cool with what with stuff I did with him is a lot of times he would send me something fully formed and I would write on top of it melodically and lyrically, send it back to him. And then before we went to the studio, he would have changed it a lot, you know, and then based on what you handed back to him. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. It never felt like he had to try to make me feel like an equal partner in this project. I still felt very active and the final product you know mm-hmm. um he's just such an awesome person to work with and he is the most prolific artist that i know i mean he's just constantly putting out great stuff your voice seems like it was made for these darker synth sounds did you find that surprising when that's not really something you listen to a lot yeah totally it's really fun to have an assignment to get sent something and you're like, you're working within the confines of this. We also had a mood board and we, we went into it, you know, saying let's write an album of love, of love songs, you know, cause he had just written this very heavy project, you know, that was very emotionally loaded for him. And he wanted to write something that, that was just more broad sweeping uh, and universal it's funny when you sit down to write a love song, how you end up writing about, you know, the de- demilitarized zone of between North Korea and South Korea. You're just like, oh, like you write love songs when you don't want to. And when you're supposed to, you just start writing about this other crap. But yeah, it was really cool to have, have a, have a specific vision and, and an actual vision, you know, actual visuals going into this. He's, he's a, also his art, all the artwork that he ends up having. And he works with great artists, but, He's clearly also like very visually. It's a very film yeah, minded. So cool. Sounds. And I really hope uh, that we can work on the next thing. I think everyone hopes. That. I just slid into his DMs yesterday. So. Getting it started. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Jasmine, before we hear your final song choice, have you thought about the person you would choose to deliver your eulogy? I have this piece that was actually part of the vision for the first U Drive record. Um, in terms of what we were going to do thematically. And when I was trying to think about part of my eulogy that would be read, besides, you know, just my friends reading my entire Twitter feed, this is something that I really like about about memories and the passage of time. It's in the preface to Moss Hart's autobiography, and it's by Evelyn Waugh. These memories, which are my life, for we possess nothing, certainly except the past, were always with me. Like the pigeons of St. Mark's, they were everywhere under my feet, singly, in pairs, in little honey-voiced congregations, nodding, strutting, winking, rolling the tender feathers of their necks, perching sometimes if I stood still on my shoulder, or pecking a broken biscuit from between my lips, until suddenly the noon gun boomed, and in a moment, with a flutter and sweep of wings, the pavement was bare and the whole sky above, dark with a tumult of fowl. And who would you like to read that? This and the voice of of David Attenborough would be pretty powerful. Did that preface inspire lyrics on the U-Drive album? Okay. Another thing I've been thinking. At the end of an Australian rules football game, if your team wins, they stand in a circle and they sing the team song. And uh, I think it would be really cool if the Richmond Tigers just sang the team song in a circle. I don't know if I want that to be my eulogy, but I really want that to happen. 
at my funeral or you know just my friends sing the theme song something victorious to end it maybe sure how does the song go <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you do a verse for us <laughs> i don't i don't want to <laughs> jasmine we've come to your fifth and final song what is it uh this is gentle on my mind but um, not by the man that most of us know it's the john hartford version so he actually wrote this song and Glenn Campbell would have done yeah. it later, correct? Glenn's Glenn's version is great, but sure. I like this one better. This song is kind of a yarn, you know? Just the idea of having little homes all over the world. You know, I think that's something that I've gained from touring. Mm. Um, people coming and people going seems really true. Um, the whole The whole idea of, you know, if I come through town, you've got you know, a sleeping bag rolled up behind your couch for me, you know? It's knowing that your door is always open and your path is free to walk That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed behind your couch And it's knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words and bonds And the ink stains that have dried upon some line That keeps you in the back roads by the rivers of my memory That keeps you ever gentle on my mind It's not clinging to the rocks and ivy planted on their columns now that binds me Or something that somebody said because they thought we fit together walking It's just knowing that the world will not be cursing or forgiven When I walk along some railroad track and find That you're moving on the back roads by the rivers of my memory And for hours you're just gentle on my mind A song made popular by Glenn Campbell but written by the man we heard perform it That is John Hartford and Gentle On My Mind Jasmine Cassett's final fantasy song choice Jasmine, have you decided what you would like to happen to your body after you die? This has been a hard one for me Um, I don't really love nature, that sounds horrible, but uh, I'm not a strong swimmer. I'm not really into the ocean or water. I'm kind of freaked out by space. I wouldn't be shot. Want to be shot off in space? It feels like getting cryogenically frozen. It's usually ends up being some kind of nightmare story. So yeah, I I just want to be cremated. I think um, I'd like my immediate family to be with my body when I get burned to kind of just watch me change form I don't I don't really want to be alone until I'm something else Mm, mm. I was talking about how I feel like I've been a lot of different people so far and so I think it'd be cool to put some of my ashes in Australia you know where I lived a big life um and I still have connections to and you know some here in town None in Cottontown, especially. I thought about it. I think I should put a couple there. Sprinkling. I don't know. I think I gave Cottontown enough of me. Put some at Dino's. Absolutely some at Dino's. <laughs> uh, that's a place that I've decided that I'd like to haunt. 
Um, yes, tell me about your. your there are two prominent, two prominent pubs in my life that I would like to haunt, and uh, the other one is the Standard Hotel, which is a pub in Melbourne that I worked at, um, and then the other one is Dino's Bar and Grill, where I currently work, and both are very classic, soulful bars with their with a lot of grit already. Um, I just feel like they could use a ghost. It'd be good for business, you know. I, I want to be like a helpful ghost, though. I don't want to be, I don't want to like knock stuff over. Hmm. Um, yeah, I love those places and um, I want to haunt them. Pop in every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, not all the time. I like want to scare the people that are closing. That sounds so fun. Okay, so even though I'm being cremated, I think if there's any kind of ceremony, I want there to be a shitload of flowers. And I, and I feel like, you know how it's always like the men carrying the casket? I would like some, whatever kind of effigy they're using, uh, I want it to be carried by the women in my life. I think that's a wonderful idea. I'm so glad you were able to join me today. Jasmine Cassett, thank you for taking us through your fantasy funeral. Thanks for having me. We close today with a title track from Jasmine Cassett's album, Quiet Machine. My Fantasy Funeral is brought to you by We Own This Town. Full versions of the songs chosen today can be heard on our Spotify playlist. Find out more at myfantasyfuneral.show. I'm Ryan Briegel. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 